welcome to the Outer Limits of In Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm so excited for our featured guest this evening, who is Mr. David Wilcock, making a second appearance on our show, and he's appearing on our show on October 25th, 2017. And there's a reason why you're going to hear me continue to refer to that date. It's because certain people like to take David's previous interviews maybe ones that he's done last week or three years ago or five years ago, and upload them to YouTube and other social media and say, well, David Wilcock came out today and he shared this, and that interview was from three or four years ago. Whatever the reason why, it's not going to happen on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. This interview was recorded October 25th, 2017. So if you're on YouTube right now and you're seeing this video copied from our show and it's from five years ago, no, it was recorded on October 25th, 2017. I have to tell you, I think David is a real cool guy. He was not afraid to go anywhere. He's a scholar. He's passionate. You can tell he's got a real kind heart. And I would buy him a beer, but I don't think he drinks beer. I'd buy him a cup of coffee, but I don't think he drinks coffee. I know he doesn't drink coffee. So i got to figure out if he's into Pokemon or he's into PlayStation. Either way, he's a tremendous asset to humanity. And let us begin tonight's interview. Welcoming back to the program is Mr. David Wilcock. He is a double New York Times bestselling author. He's the star of two weekly TV programs on Gaia, professional lecturer, filmmaker, researcher of ancient civilizations, and he still makes coffee in the morning. Mr. Wilcock, great honor to have you back with us today. Welcome uh, back to the program. Well, I don't wish to refute you, but I actually don't drink coffee. Oh, you don't drink coffee? Sorry. Don't you? He doesn't drink coffee. But you can learn <laughs> more about David by going to his website at divinecosmos.com. David, when we had you on our program last year, it was one of the most well-received shows. People really um, loved hearing from you and uh, hearing your insights. And following you on Twitter recently, it seems that something big is about to happen, something where you know it could potentially change our whole perception of reality. I was wondering if you could please elaborate on that. And just to verify with everyone, let the record show that today we are recording, and the date is Wednesday, October 25th, 2017. Yes. And that's important because I have avoided doing radio shows in the past, given that they are often re-uploaded over and over and over again by... Actually, the cabal, this rogue aspect of our government, and the purpose for them doing that is to obscure current events and mislead people into thinking that they're listening to something that's new. And then somewhere along the line, they say, wait a minute, why are they talking about Obama being president? Oh, my God, this is not new at all. You know, (laughs) that upsets people. So I understand that. So, So, okay, you know, do you have an hour? I guess that's question number one. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, because this is a very complex subject. We can start in any of a variety of places. I think everyone, to some degree, is aware now that there is what a lot of people are calling the deep state or some sort of group that is extremely wealthy, that is controlling not only governments and militaries, but they're controlling media. And that's why... You're not going to see me on NBC, despite the fact that I have more than enough numbers in popularity to be invited. In fact, you know, I am a double New York Times bestseller and working for a major label, Penguin Random House, you would think with their connections, they could get me on all kinds of mainstream TV. 
we we tried. You know, we tried getting me on John Stewart show. We tried getting me on Stephen Colbert. We tried getting me on Saturday Night Live. I mean, nobody will ever put me on mainstream media at all. And the reason why is that I'm saying things that threaten their paradigm. And as time's gone on, I don't really, I don't really even want to be on those things. You know, it's a dying dinosaur. And we're learning about guys like Harvey Weinstein and this casting couch stuff. I've never had to compromise myself to do my job. I wouldn't want to. Uh, I feel very badly for people who would have made that call and made that kind of a decision. And we already have WikiLeaks on public record. And, you know, Sony really didn't like this, but there's a public record of WikiLeaks showing that Sony was having all-day-long meetings with RAND Corporation. And RAND Corporation is a think tank for the military-industrial complex. Now, why that is significant is that some of the intercepted emails that WikiLeaks came out with said that RAND was telling people how to write the movies for the purpose of government propaganda. And you remember the film with uh, Seth Rogen, the comedian, and I yep. forget who else was in it, but it was about Franco, North Korea. The interview, yep. Yeah, James Franco, the interview, that's right. So some of those intercepted emails were showing how Rand was essentially demanding that they phrase things a certain way. And if you actually watch that movie, they start out by having this uh, tiger get killed with a rocket. And, you know, you're happy because the tiger was going to kill the hero, and then the tiger dies instead. But the point is that they condition you so that by the end of the movie, you have these North Koreans being killed and blood is all over their faces and they're, and they're spasming because they're so freaked out and you're supposed to think it's funny, you know. And then Kim Jong-un dies and you're supposed to think it's funny. And, and so it was a very creepy thing. And when you go into the WikiLeaks, you realize, okay, there's actual military people telling them what to write, telling them how to write it, telling them what to say. And then, of course, they want to enlist comedians, and comedians always need work. You know, everybody wants a job, and unfortunately, you don't really get to pick what you want. Most of these guys, because the industry is in such contraction, have to basically take whatever jobs they're offered, unless you really have an ethical complication. So what is beyond most people's ability to comprehend at this point is the scope of how vast this cabal, as we are calling it, really is. And that would be one of the signposts you can look at is a study that was done, as I've said before, by the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology run by Dr. James Glatfelder, and that is essentially the finest university in the world to learn how to run the financial system. It's not like some unaccredited, you know, garage diploma. This is like a very high-end school. And so they come out with a study showing by looking at the total of about 48,060 different transnational corporations in the world, which is all of them in this uh, specific database, they found out that a core of 147 corporations are earning 80% of all the money that is to be earned in the world. And it is not public. It's crazy. It's crazy, especially because they published the top 50. They didn't publish the rest of the 147, which I wish they had, but they published the top 50. 
Two-thirds of them are financial institutions, and it's basically a who's who list of the too-big-to-fail banks. So then that says, okay, what is that really telling us? It doesn't matter what industry you look at, whether it's oil, whether it's food, agriculture, whether it's uh, pharmaceuticals and medicine, whether it's media, television, movies, it's all being controlled by a central group, not distributed amongst even competitors. And then when we look at the LIBOR scandal, and in fact now there have been more recent settlements that extended beyond LIBOR into the precious metals markets, but even with LIBOR, it's a public fact that the stock market was different companies that seemed to be under different management when, in fact, they're actually secretly colluding with each other to rig their credit score. So imagine if any of your listeners could just walk into a little grimy store on the corner of a dark corner of town, walk in there and get an 800 credit score and just clean up all their problems. Now you can get a big jumbo loan. Now you can live in a beautiful house. Now you can get a beautiful car because you got this incredible credit score, right? Well, it's fraud. It's not real. You don't have that kind of credit. You just went in and dropped $500, and now you got your credit score. Well, that's basically what they did. They essentially rigged their credit scores. They're hiding the fact that the majority of all these transnational corporations are Enron. They're doing the same thing. They're taking things that are not assets. They're even taking their own debts and liabilities and then putting them on the books as assets. And that's called monetizing debt. So the scope of the conspiracy is so crazy because, like, for example, you look at the problem that we've had with home loans. And these banks, what they've done is they've taken the book value of people's homes and then they take that value and they splay it out across 30 different banks. And each one of those banks has ledger entries that say, well, we have this house that's worth $500,000, and we have this, and it's the same house. So then they can hypothecate off of that $500,000 and then get 100x. So now it's the equivalent of, what would that be? I guess $50 million, right? Mm-hmm. So once you start to really dig into this stuff, you got to look at this and say, okay, who really was responsible for these bailouts that literally transitioned between a Republican to a Democratic presidency? You have George W. that started the bailouts and Obama finished them. And according to Ron Paul, and I know you've done some work with him, uh, you know, we're talking about $29 trillion. And the entirety of the gross domestic product of the whole world is only a little over $60 trillion a year. That means all the money to be made in the world is a little over $60 trillion. They took half of that entire amount and paid themselves out of it by just printing stretchable rubber dollars. And so all of this is going on, but the part that most people don't know is that they are being very strongly opposed. And they are being opposed by an international alliance. This is not some grassroots underground thing. This is a group that has a lot of money, 
a lot of power, and is presenting this cabal with a very credible threat. And so what we're seeing right now in the headlines and also from a lot of different insider leaks is the signs telling us that there are some very critical events that are getting ready to take place that could effectively blow the lid off of this cabal and reveal the true ugliness of what's been going on for so long. Okay, David, can I pause and ask you a couple of quick questions with regards to this and what some of the other things that you've said previously? Yeah, sure. Okay, the first one is that if you're saying that there's this international alliance that's on the same par, same almost level as these elite people that have been controlling us, I'm wondering why these elite powerhouses of this alliance has not shown its hand and tried to thwart and push back against this cabal even in earlier times. And what would make this alliance have any kind of moral uh, value or moral standard to do the right thing by general humanity, by pushing back against it? So why has it not pushed back earlier? And I guess the um, second question is, you mentioned about how the military is infusing a lot of its messages in a lot of these films that are out there. And I'm wondering, we're in a culture where people are completely immersed in violent video games, violent media, even if the military had nothing to do with that, would these film companies eventually come to the same conclusion that violence and gratuitous sex does sell, and those messages would get conveyed or be conveyed regardless if there was a military trying to push those messages? Okay, well, that's actually about five questions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so it's kind of a knot. It's like an omelet, right? You put in the sausage, you put in the red peppers, and I guess it could all taste good if we just kind of eat it all at once. <laughs> I just—I don't know. I just so, I hope so, you're a good chef. That's so all. So curious about the, the curiosity. <laughs> I didn't know which okay. one to ask first. Well, yeah. I mean, you just kind of vomited it all out there, but we'll we'll go through it. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, this is something that comes up a lot, and I think a lot of people have their own ideas about how the alliance should have done things or would have done things. And that's not necessarily going to be correct. Uh, first of all, the cabal is earning 80% of the money in the world. So they definitely have a financial advantage. It's very significant. A lot of this alliance is international. It's countries like we see in BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And then you have a good part of the South American countries, a good part of the countries in Africa, a good part of Southeast Asia. You're basically looking at most of the world now is participating in this to varying degrees. And then even within the United States and in the military aspects of the United States, the intelligence aspects of the United States, you probably have at least six major factions in the alliance. And I'm not on a need-to-know basis enough to know what those factions are, but I've heard that there's at least that many. Uh, they don't all agree on everything. And you have to understand that the cabal has an amazing ability to project force through the media. The mainstream media is still taken very seriously. If they have Seth Meyers say something on his show, people are going to listen to that. If Saturday Night Live does a skit that lampoons somebody, that's going to be seen by a lot of people. So when you have this alliance... Uh, attempting to do things, you'll have some really crazy stuff that goes down. As an example, 
one of the parts of the alliance that was very active circa 2000-2001 was in a particular division of the Pentagon. And on 9-11, somehow they were able to have this alleged plane crash into the exact part of the Pentagon that's on the bottom floor where the Alliance was doing all of its work out of. Because at that point, it was just a small corner in the Pentagon. Is that so, the same office that lost, that they reported the day before that they, they had a trillion dollars in unaccounted uh, money loss? No, no, oh. no. That, but that was Rumsfeld, and he was saying that on behalf of cabal-controlled military assets. You know, uh, So there's been a resistance, and the resistance has been, it was small. It wasn't really that powerful. And then they suffered a gratuitous defeat by having their section of the Pentagon blown up on 9-11. And this is the way that the cabal, you know, as psychopaths, they love doing things that accomplish more than one goal simultaneously. And so 9-11 accomplished a variety of goals for them simultaneously, including the passing of the USA Patriot Act, this five-and-a-half-inch monster document that they just managed to whip out three weeks after 9-11. And then any of the senators that didn't want to vote for it suddenly got an envelope with anthrax in it. And the anthrax traces back to Fort Detrick, Maryland. You know, this crazy, crazy, crazy stuff is going on. So you have to understand that 9-11 was a catalyzing event that made many of these people in the military who had voted an oath to serve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against any enemies, foreign or domestic, they realize, wait a minute, there's... There's something going on here. There's a fox in the hen house in America. And that group has grown significantly, but they are the underdog in the sense that they don't have as much money. They don't have the kind of media presence. And then they'll be doing things. They'll be trying to get work done. And you'll have some mind-controlled shooter that goes into, like, the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., and specifically kills all the people that were coordinating on behalf of the alliance, right? And then, oh, well, yeah, this weird guy goes in there and shoots up the Navy Yard because nobody knows that the people that he shot, like he just had a who's who list of who's the best people in the alliance to take out. And there's been a number of those kind of things. So they don't want to stick their necks out. Anybody that becomes a spokesperson is in really serious trouble. The first really significant person other than somebody who's kind of on the alternative media spectrum, who really has come forward in a big way with the kind of credentials to back it up, would be Steve Pachenik. And he's predominantly only spoken on Alex Jones, but he has said some really incredible stuff that lines up very nicely with intel that I've been reporting for many years, that there is a significant group. It's it's now becoming a majority of people in the 16 different intelligence agencies in America. Some branches of the military apparently are almost 100% alliance now. Others are still heavily compromised. There's a, there's a bad FBI and a good FBI. There's a bad CIA and a good CIA. You know, it's, it goes on down the list like that. What, and what, how, do they, how do they go back and forth? Like what is the, I mean, if you're looking at the, the heart of the intentions of the good and the evil, uh, if you describe it in maybe a simplistic manner, what, what are they, what's the heart of the intentions? What is drawing them into creating um, acts either way? Well, the cabal has a belief system that I don't think anybody would want 
to be on earth unless you also believe the same. And their belief system is basically Satanism, except that they dress it up as, well, Lucifer is the misunderstood good guy, and Lucifer is not Satan, and God is actually, the God that most people think is God is actually a demiurge, it's this monster that's enslaving us. And they do believe this. Now, that has its derivations from Gnosticism, although a lot of Gnostics are not Luciferians, but some of them are. And there are polite Luciferians who don't really want to hurt anybody and just think that the Old Testament Yahweh is, is an angry, jealous God and, you know, not anybody they want to associate with. It's like, well, wait a minute, guys. Didn't Jesus come here to restore the covenants? Didn't Jesus come here to fix what was wrong and overturn the tables of the money changers? Yeah. So let's not confuse Jesus and Lucifer, right? It's like Jesus was the guy that was trying to fix what went wrong. But some of these cabal people say, well, anything that comes out of the Abrahamic religions, anything that says that you're supposed to have morals or ethics, that's a prison created by this evil God who doesn't want you to be free. And once you're free, then do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, as Aleister Crowley said, meaning now you can rape people, adults or children, commit any acts of torture, depravity, murder, and unfortunately, these people do this stuff, they get off on this stuff, and it's a very, very difficult adjustment for otherwise open-minded people who think the world is basically good to really come to accept how nasty some of these people are. So to answer your question, the Alliance is simply coming at this from a variety of perspectives, there's a variety of agendas, some of them we would agree with, some of them we wouldn't necessarily agree with. They're on different levels of the political spectrum, the religious spectrum, the social spectrum. But I think the one thing that they all have in common is they don't like the idea of a satanic, wealthy elite wanting to drastically reduce the world's population and then batter the rest of us into a forced satanic worldview where we are their slaves and we are forced to be Luciferian whether we like it or not. And if we're not Luciferians, we're killed. And that is actually what they want to do, as crazy as it sounds. And I know a lot of people don't like it, and I never thought I'd be talking on the radio about stuff that's this out of the box. But, my God, as you were talking about with the movies, they are so persistent in presenting propaganda that consistently shows any view of Jesus or this idea of any type of religious iconography. They, they flip it around backwards. They make it evil. And then they have a variety of symbols that they use to promote their own faith. And there's a number of them. And some, a lot of people are aware of some of the more obvious ones. But then there are other ones that you have to kind of do more homework to really see, like the Templar cross and the different derivations of just a simple square-shaped cross that could occur, the colors red and white interspersed with each other, the Masonic black and white tiles that are all squares in a matrix of black and white. You have things like the two Masonic pillars that show up a lot. You have another thing that most people don't know, which is two-ball cane, which is actually a phallic reference where you have two uh, circles and then a long rod. 
in different configurations. Uh, so they use these symbols and they put them out there. And they do feel that if we are not strong enough to rise up against them and to have the strength to do that, then we deserve to be their slaves. They don't respect us unless we are willing to speak out against them. And most people are not. Were you talking about organized religion and you're saying that these, these people, the Kabbalah, are against the organized religion and trying to undermine it? Do you think that there is a degree of darkness within organized religion in one way? Because there have been you know, atrocities and horrible things committed by respected, quote-unquote, respected leaders of various organized religions, whether they're molesting kids, committing war or crimes. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if that's, I mean, if people become too reliant upon organized religion and don't seek the answers within themselves or are too willing to surrender their power to their organized religion, are they in some way, shape, or form putting themselves at greater danger of being influenced by their cabal because of their already predetermined behavior pattern of seceding their will to another human being, which comes from my understanding is that we all come from the same place. We're all from the same place. We're all we could all be of equal footing. Am I incorrect about that? Yeah, I yes, I I am very wary of organized religion. Uh, the closest I ever came to it was going to an interfaith church called Fellowship of the Inner Light, and we had Native American ceremonies. We had. Uh, Jewish communion, we had Christian communion, we, we did different stuff week after week. And, uh, you know, and I got to have a taste of everything. So I don't feel beholden to any organized religion. And in fact, these religions are contracting. They're, you know, the, the church attendance across America as a whole is now less than 15%. And in Europe, it's even lower. Uh, churches are basically now being turned into recreational centers and uh, nightclubs and all kinds of stuff in Europe. I mean, when I spoke in, in Amsterdam, I spoke in this gorgeous, gorgeous church that had long since stopped being a church. And I got to tell you, it was so, the ceiling was so high and the decor inside was so amazing. It was probably the best experience I've ever had on a stage in terms wow. of just the majesty of the space. Uh, it was so amazing. But, my point is, we're not going to gain yardage in this football game by relying on the institutionalized worldviews of the past. Everything that we thought we knew is having to be reviewed, and that includes what is behind organized religion. And one of the things we have to be really, really clear about is that the cabal likes to own both sides of a conflict. So they will own the churches, and they will own the Luciferian secret cabal, and then they will give each of them opposing sets of instructions and then get them to fight. And then regardless of which side wins, they're still supporting it. So they don't ultimately care which side wins as long as they control both sides. And that's a very significant point. Uh, if you look at what has happened in previous American elections, the electorate, especially the conservatives, in the past were very heavily manipulated by people who are not Christian in the slightest sense. But they'll isolate like three things, like uh, gay marriage and abortion and, let's say, gun control, right? And they will fight as if this is what they represent 
they want you to have your guns. They don't want you to have an abortion. They don't want gays to marry. When, in fact, they actually do want to take your guns. They actually are homosexuals, and they're having abortions whenever they want. They don't care. They're just telling us what we want to hear. Right? An emotional provocation or the crisis of now. I love watching Oliver Stone's uh, the America, the Untold History. I, it's, on, it's on Netflix. I highly recommend people watch it because if you mm. watch this and you observe, you see that no matter what decade it's been, it must have been since the early 1900s, the fundamental policies of the, of the country in the U.S., I think even the world, are, are, haven't changed. They have not changed. I don't care who the, 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 you know, they say, the, well, the, the personality of the president has changed, but I don't see a fundamental shift in the policies. And then I think about Chris Hedges, who uh, I think is a phenomenal writer, really yeah. points out that you know people are voting on a personality. They're not really um, they're not looking for those values. A lot of those fundamental principles of the Republican or Democratic Party, even, it doesn't matter what party, they don't seem like they're there in practice. People just, I don't, I don't know, how do people get them so tied up in the crisis of now and the fear of now, David? I was wondering if you could explain how people are able to be perpetually put in the fear of now and never being able to seemingly uh, to reach beyond that critical thinking stage. Well, Noam Chomsky has a great quote where he says that this group, and I forget what he called it in the quote, but he said they, they encourage very vigorous debate between two opposing platforms regarding a very small amount of information. But that very small amount of information is precisely manipulated into two vigorously opposing points of view, which are then debated endlessly. And that would appear to be the argument. And so the archetype, as I've so often said, is between town and country. And this is an archetype that would occur on any inhabited world in the universe with intelligent life. Town is where you're out in the country, and I'm, I'm sorry. Town is where you're in a city, and now people are living in closer proximity. There's going to be more immigration. They're going to have to get along with each other. They're going to be working in buildings where there's more people working together, and that's going to create more of a liberal political spectrum, what we would now identify as liberal. They have to learn to get along with each other. They have to set aside their differences you have to work for a common cause and be in the same building and learn how to not throw spitballs at each other. In country, they're very big on self-reliance. They have their own farm. They have 10, 15 kids. The kids are farm laborers. They're very self-reliant. Everything they do on their own, they don't really integrate that much with other groups because their family is self-sufficient. So they will be more of the conservative side. And depending on what country you're in and how this plays out, there's just countless examples of this. This is the classic divide. This is the archetype. So what we have in America is that the coasts are town and everything in between is country. And you look at how the electorate divides in any presidential election, and you see blue on the sides and red in the middle for the most part. Up until recently, it's changed a little bit, but not a whole lot. So I think that we are looking at a group that is aware of this archetypal divide between people who are more self-reliant and people who are more apt to live in a city, and they exploit those differences as much as possible. They really want to encourage us to turn against each other instead of realizing that we have a common oppressor. And the thing that is cool for me is that they are slipping up all the time. 
in order for this to work, in order for them to stay concealed, they have to present a veneer of credibility. And that credibility has been lost. We still talk about NBC, ABC, CBS as if they're so significant. You know, CNN has some kind of exclusive contract for every airport in America. When you go to the airport, you see CNN as if it's still credible, but yet they're padding their numbers in terms of who's even watching it. If they didn't have those airport numbers based on actuarial estimates of how many people are seeing it, they would be even less than they already are, and it's being forced upon us. So what is happening is that actually people like me, like some of the last two articles I wrote, it, bro it broke 200,000 views in like two or three days. And regular corporate media isn't doing that. Now, for, for a couple months, three months now, the number one most viewed website in the world is Drudge Report. <laughs> it's on all the time. It's he's so ahead. Oh, and a quick final reminder: I just want to remind everyone that this interview was recorded on October twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. Thank you, thank you. Finally <laughs> <Friendly> reminder. <laughs> yeah, Drudge and Drudge always says he always breaks the stories. He's incredible. And he, I think yeah, I mean, good. look, people but, are like, oh my God, David's gone alt right. He's talking about Drudge Report. He's talking about Alex Jones. Look. I am not trying to pick a side here. I grew up in a liberal upstate environment, and yet upstate New York, and yet my father is a Vietnam vet who served his country voluntarily. He wasn't drafted by force. He enlisted in the reserve and then got activated. So I grew up with a father who had been uh, you know, in the military, served in Vietnam, came home, and you know, did his duty. And... Uh, you know, there are things about either side that I can agree with, and there are things about either side that I have trouble with. So when anybody tries to pigeonhole me and say, oh, wow, David is far right or David's far left, it's like, look, neither side has it all. We, we have to be able to learn to get along with each other and recognize that this occult group wants us to be at odds. They want us to fight. They don't want us to find ways in which we can agree. They want liberals to think that it would be good if everybody's guns were taken away and then, oh, it'll never happen again. B.S. because now you're going to have illegal guns. You can't pass a law and stop illegal guns. So the whole thing is totally ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And that is one area in which I believe liberals are 100% brainwashed. They do not get it. You don't have to have a gun, okay? If you try to have a gun in California or New York State, my God, I mean, the paperwork you got to go through and the... It's crazy. It's, it's crazy, okay? So I'm not saying you have to have it. You don't need to own one. But bear in mind that the reason why we had the Second Amendment in the first place was to prevent the British Empire from taking the country back. And the British Empire is still trying to take the country back. Right? It never stopped. Yeah. <laughs> David, I want to um, bring something to your attention and ask you what your thoughts are about this. Um, if, actually, it'll, it'll go from one thing and lead to another question. But um, there's a lot of talk saying, okay, well, the, the mainstream media, it's no longer credible. It doesn't have the credibility. And I don't know. I, I, I imagine that's part of it, but I think people's – with that they're perceiving reality, 
they get a lot of their media from their phones, so they'll listen to podcasts, so they'll do things right. that are much more good of interest. And a lot of people are turning off cable because they don't. Do, they just want to get Netflix. So I'm wondering if they're if that if it's a big part of it has to do with their their viewing habits and their changing media habits. And uh, the other thing is that I love how you are such an avid reader, and you've read so many different books. And you're able to put all these different pieces of the puzzle together. And one thing I thought about when going through your site and reading some of your works is. I would imagine that the battle that we're having right now is playing out or has played out before in other realities and other dimensions and other planetary systems. I'm Absolutely. wondering if there are people that are on this planet right now that are coming specifically with a knowledge and history of how this played out and here specifically for the purpose of overturning the tide or making sure that this cabal ultimately doesn't seize control. Sure. Uh, we're, we are definitely in a proxy war. And a proxy war would be like what happened with Korea. Okay, let's look back at the Korean War for a second. Yes, battles were taking place in Korea, but you have the Soviet Union arming one side, you have the U.S. arming the other side. So proxy war is where bigger powers fight each other on a smaller piece of land. And in that greater expanded viewpoint, all of us on Earth are soldiers in a proxy war that is ultimately being played out between other levels of existence that we would normally not have access to unless we died. And then you see the continuity of the soul, which has been redundantly scientifically proven. People have a uh, clinical death, which means the cessation of heart rate, the cessation of breathing, and the cessation of brainwave activity. That's the three things you need to certify a clinical death, and yet they report seeing what's going on in the operating room, seeing a light at the end of a tunnel. They go up into the light. They go and they meet their relatives, and the relatives say, no, you can't come here yet. you got to go back. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of people on record that have documented this exact same sequence. And yet we doubt that there's an afterlife still because it hasn't been commonly accepted and it hasn't been commonly seen as a, a provable scientific fact. And that's not that there's a lack of science. That's that the science doesn't get publicity. So I think it would be a really good thing for us to understand that the world's religions do have supernatural phenomena from our limited viewpoint that have taken place. And there's a commonality between what these different traditions say, for the most part. And there are extensive records of what we would look at as being humans that more or less look like us. In some cases, they look almost exactly like us. But they can pull the thoughts right out of your mind. They know what your name is as soon as they walk up to you. They know who, who you've been speaking to. They know what you're thinking before you can say the words. They can levitate something and move it through the air. They can fly. And they have a much greater knowledge of what we're really here for. And all of this stuff I'm telling you about makes a lot more sense once you recontextualize the battle into a spiritual war and see that the negative side, which would seem insane to us until you really understand this, Black magic does work. Black magic will get you results. 
it's a very difficult process. And so you look at something like a serial killer and these kind of occultists in the elite, they look at these people as sort of like idiot savants. You know, they, they have the will, they have the desire, but they don't really have the tradecraft. They don't have the magical understanding to take these things that they're doing and actually convert it into something that's usable. They're getting off on it, but they're not really making use of it. These occultists do believe that the nefarious things they do give them power. And ultimately, it doesn't even matter if that's true or not. It's the fact that they do it and that they're fighting this battle. And then you go back and you say, okay, if that's true, if there are people that think that they're gaining something by practicing black magic on a massive worldwide scale, were we told, were we told in advance by the good guys that this was going to be the world we were living in? And the answer is absolutely yes. Really? And so it shows up. We, in, knew what, we knew what we were getting into before we came down. Yeah. And those. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm always looking at my arm like, where is that thing? From like the predator, where I can just go beep beep beep, you know, kind of get off the planet. Is there, is there an escape <laughs> pod? combination? Okay, well, check it out. We're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be going through this because this is the fast track in the spiritual sense. When you have a planet that has two opposing spiritual polarities that are this stridently in opposition. It's a very fertile environment for people to develop spiritually. And, and what I'm saying is that the crisis that we see in our planet's leadership, the crisis that we see in the environment, the destruction of the environment, these ever-increasingly unpredictable weather patterns. I mean, I'm living in Los Angeles, and we just came out of three days in a row of over 100-degree heat in October, okay? And even up here in the mountains where I am, down the valley, it's 10 degrees hotter. Even up in the mountains, three days in a row, 97, 97, 97. And wind, it's like 60 miles an hour. It's amazing that we didn't have a wildfire. It's The risk is so high, we could have had Santa Rosa right here. So all of these things, from the perspective of let's say, the high-level extraterrestrial positive intelligence, or angelic, whatever you want to call it, all of these crises on Earth are breaking the shell that we build around our hearts. They're awakening us to get involved, to do something. And a wonderful example of this is the Me Too campaign. I mean, this thing is going viral in a way that puts Occupy Wall Street to shame. It's taken people down like crazy. and It's unbelievable. And Corey Feldman, I commend him because years ago he was talking about what was going on. And I remember reading his autobiography, and this is he was coming out and he was saying the pedophilia and sex abuse was rampant, and they were dismissing him. You're crazy. Now I think he's getting, a, he's getting the benefit of the doubt, and people are coming out and supporting him a bit slowly. I think they're afraid. Because it, it, he may actually lead to more people that they don't want to have be revealed. Oh, it's it's just the beginning of something that is so intense. And yet what we're already seeing is a total indictment of the credibility of what we would call institutions. And an institution, of course, is something that has a lot of money going into it. It's been given prestige. 
Harvey Weinstein is as much of an institution in the film industry as you could ever get. He's practically a Pez dispenser for Oscars, right? But then it turns out that if you want that Pez to pop out of his mouth, you've got to do something down below. Yeah. And that's not cool. So it's like, wow, okay. Weinstein was this name that was untouchable. It was up there in lights. And now the guy's a freaking thug. The guy's a scumbag, right? And, and now everybody's commenting on his appearance, and it's like, well, guys, he always looked like that. If you really wanted to see what kind of a person he is, if you want to get a read on somebody's face, he was a pretty unsavory-looking man for a long time. And, you know, that's not necessarily a criteria in which to judge somebody, but you got to look at the actions. And what we're seeing is all of this ugliness, all of this suppressed stuff, I mean, I can't believe it now. Two women in a row in like 24 hours are saying Bush Sr.'s this brab-assing elderly man in a wheelchair. And I'm surprised he actually came out and he apologized twice. I know, right? It's like, I couldn't believe it. Incredible. He, oh, yeah. I mean, we know that he's, he's practically in the coffin already, but come on. I mean, if you're going to admit that you did it, uh, that just opens up the floodgates for everybody else to come running in and say, me too, me too, me too, which is what this whole campaign is right now. And it's uh, we have no idea. I mean, it's like I think we're seeing the first dominoes, and the whole domino arrangement has been laid out for us. But people don't realize that, you know, one or two little strains of dominoes at the beginning all of a sudden start curling around and turning into this big frickin' mandala. It's going to just go poof and pop down and, and wow, holy crap, you know, we didn't know this, we didn't know this. It's just, it's going to be very intense for some people. You're probably going to see people, just like in the stock market crash in 1929, some people are just going to jump out the window, you know. It's going to get to that point where you're going to find out that some people took their own lives. Uh, I'm not going to before, be surprised during that during yeah. the crash. And it, it's also maybe an ego death or something. We're not, we we've, um, talked to our Dr. Ron Paul, and he was so nice to, to come on our show, talk about the awakening and people um, promoting freedom. And he really believes that I think eight, if 8 or 10% of the people on the planet really do have that love, really do have the compassion and the freedom within their hearts, and they get strong, and they remain strong, they will naturally radiate a frequency that could indeed actually help others. And his focus, I think, was to focus on the 8 or 10%, grow stronger, do whatever you can within your yeah. confines, and let everyone else do it. Because I, I know all these people talk about there's going to be some kind of global awakening. I, I don't know, David. I just don't see it happening. I don't see a mass awakening all at once. I do see a smaller number of people doing it and then following. I was wondering what your perspective on is about that. So we got to look at what in physics would be called boundary conditions. And boundary conditions are things that might not be that indicative when you first move towards the boundary, but then there's a very sharp delineation and a very sudden change of energetic state. So, so for example, a boundary condition would be uh, a pot of water before it actually starts boiling where there just start to be these ripples on the surface. But then the next thing you know, it's in a rolling boil, and now you're having water turn into, into water vapor. So I do believe that what we are seeing with the Me Too campaign is just one of many examples 
is the beginning of an avalanche. It is the first line of dominoes in a massive domino setup. And we have to allow for the fact that another term you could use from physics is asymptotic, which means a curve that suddenly accelerates very dramatically. It never goes all the way to the edge of the axis, but it gets really close. And it can be a very, very sharp change. So nature does show us that there are things that change very suddenly. Uh, you can have these boundary conditions all the time in very different types of physical systems. And so in the sense of the global brain, I actually see very tangible progress. I see uh, statistics, for example, that I quoted. In fact, the, the very end of my latest book, Ascension Mysteries, is a quotation from a study that most people are not aware of, which is that if you actually look at the real amount of wars, terrorism, and fatalities in the world, it has sizably reduced. There were many, many countries that were having civil wars, revolutions, genocide. The number of them that are doing that has gone way, way, way down. So the actual real-world statistics support that we are becoming a more peaceful planet. It is still, there, there's this clinging, rattly breathing dinosaur media, like the end of the movie Alien, where the alien is still in the airlock, clinging to the edge, and it's trying to make us feel that things are not only no better than they were, they're getting worse. But the real-world scientific data does not support that. We are getting better, and I believe that we are on the verge of some truly revolutionary stuff. I mean, you have Roger Stone, who's now saying on Alex Jones, yes, Trump is releasing the JFK classified documents. There's a lot of chatter about this. It could happen any time now. And we know what we're going to find in there if they allow it to come out. And that's a big if. But there's several of these things, and I talked about one of them in my latest article, which is apparently the Anthony Weiner life insurance file that was on his laptop, the NYPD copied all of that before the FBI, and that would be the bad FBI, got their hands on it. So all that stuff that the FBI scrubbed off of his laptop, and then Comey comes out in like a matter of days and says, oh, yeah, you know, we went through all the new emails, and there's nothing in there. Just <laughs> everybody go home, you know. It's like, wait a minute. The life insurance file. Apparently... There is this, WikiLeaks was originally going to do three data dumps, and the third one was much worse than the first two in terms of how it would negatively affect the cabal, which means it's much better for everybody else. They only did the first two, and all of the fallout that we saw in the election and in the aftermath of the election and the exposure of pedophilia, all of that stuff is just barely the beginning of what you see in the next data dump. And as of a little over a week ago now, Julian Assange dropped the hash, which means in computer lingo, he dropped the code to unlock the new data dump. And when he does that, usually that means it's about a one-week period of time. And I've been writing on my website a, a, a remarkable coalescence of intel that we get from 
an insider who works for the good FBI that's been promoting their agenda ever since at least June 2016. And here's a guy who described almost exactly what happened with the WikiLeaks disclosures in that same October. So he was months ahead of the curve, described exactly what we were going to find out, that it was going to involve child trafficking by politicians. It comes out, and he's right. And so as far as I know, nobody else up until I did this had been able to actually track this guy and track how he then spoke to a website called Victorus Libertas a couple times in uh, February and March of 2017, and how he's consistently been saying that they, meaning whatever these people are in his organization, he doesn't even really say what it is. In the beginning, he said it was the FBI. Now he's being more circumspect. And I think he's even dropped some red herrings, like he said, I'm a chick, and yet all of the way that he talks and the whole pattern of language and the pattern of thought is very much like a man and not like a woman. Um, and even I don't think a woman would... Uh, I mean, there, there was supposedly at one point a, a picture that he scrubbed with meta tags that clearly was of a man's legs wearing sandals, and that was supposedly a picture of himself. So, you know, he hasn't been 100% consistent in covering his tracks. Um, but what he's saying is so shocking because we're hearing that this WikiLeaks data dump comes first and that afterwards the president makes an announcement a press club, he can do a press conference, and the media is required by law not to interrupt. They have to cover it. They have to do it without interruption. And apparently what that will involve is a disclosure, and it could very well be that he's going to bring up other witnesses. It won't just be him talking. Nobody really knows exactly what he's going to say or how it could be seen as so definitive. But these people in the FBI and whoever else he's working with have presented a, a body of data that is so compelling that they believe that in one speech, the last 60 years of conspiracies by the cabal in the FBI and the CIA and in the Federal Reserve will be demolished, that their credibility will be extinguished, and that the result will be this massive uprising of Me Too kind of stuff but now extending into all these other areas besides just Hollywood. And I am extremely excited. In fact, I, I have never had the wind at my back like I do right now. It just it feels amazing. And just to make sure we know the date that is at the wind of Mr. David Wilcox back, the date happens to be October 25th, 2017. Just to verify so you know this, this interview is current. And I love what you just said because, again, David, there's another example of how you put things together. You read, you research, you use your intuition, and you're able to put things visually in so many different perspectives. And I love how you just described that, the Me Too campaign. I'm sure we're progress the other things. There's a gentleman named um, Dr. Stephen Greer. Yeah. He did two different uh, documentaries. That was amazing. They were able to group all those people together. And I'm wondering if his methodology of doing things is actually going to, we're going to see a similar replication of that when this uh, that does happen that you describe. Well, I was there at the National Press Club in May 2001 for the Disclosure Project. I met the 39 insiders, and that was actually one of the first big bursts of insider access that I got. Uh, I also starred in the first of those two films, Sirius. Um, so 
I've had extensive contact with that world, uh, and, and Greer, of course, specializes in the idea of UFOs and the idea that, in fact, it's not a secret. It's just not popular. It's not being acknowledged by the mainstream media. And yet, we have very recently now, the Huffington Post, which used to be pretty independent, and then Ariana Huffington stepped down and it got bought out by Verizon and became another mainstream media echo chamber, which is why it's so weird that on October 10th, they announced out of nowhere that the very next day they were going to have a conference announcing with major top-level Department of Defense former personnel, UFOs are real. And then they did it the next day, October 11th, 2017. Now that just happened a little over a week ago. And nobody seems to really care. It's like they, they think they think they're going to blow your mind by saying having an official come forward and say UFOs are real, and everybody's like, "Yeah." You know, <laughs> uh, my network Gaia had a show called Unearthing Nazca where we're showing these mummies, and there's no question that the mummies are not regular human. They got anomalous skeletal features. They got anomalous everything, you know, three fingers on the hands, three fingers on the toes, and it kind of came and went. And it's like, that was a big lesson for us. It's like, people already know. They're not that interested anymore. They want what's what's the bigger picture. They want to connect more islands, more dots. They know that ETs are real. They know that we've been visited. They know that these various ETs, I mean, some people now, more people are starting to realize that some ETs look bang on human. We're not talking about these little saucerian graves. You know, we're not dealing with people's imagination needs to expand dramatically. And we need to realize it's not like we're dealing with little swollen headed, you know, fetuses that are grown into adulthood. This idea of a neonate where if you take a fetus and you put it in a growth tube and without the pressure of the womb, the skull continues to grow larger than it normally would, and then the fetal proportions extend into adulthood. And that's basically what a gray is. It's, a, it's an incubator-grown human. And it's what would happen to a human if they don't grow up naturally, but they grow in a lab. We would look like that. So, but that's only one of many different types. And we have been lied to on such a vast scale that one of the main jobs that I feel I've had is simply cultivating people's imagination so that they have room for the truth because forget about it if if they're going to tell you ufos are real and then they're going to start showing diagrams of things in the sky and pointing an, an arrow at it those documentaries have been on television for 40 years you know is i that's a <laughs> it's I, when you say that it makes me think about something i always the first thing that comes to my mind is cognitive dissonance that people are afraid of accepting a belief pattern that could contradict another one. I wonder how much of a role the organized religion has. And another sure. thought that comes to my mind is we did a comprehensive show on The Matrix. We interviewed John Rappaport, and we had a lot of other individuals. And the conclusion, or some of the main ideas, is that this Matrix was a biological and is also a spiritual trap that almost, if you would equivalent it to, to people who are trapped in the, in the fear of now, where they're at the frequency, they can't get out of the frequency, they can't see anything beyond it, but once the, the frequency diminishes and they're able to see, they may be in a better, better position to see beyond that. So, from your perspective, Dave, 
David, what do you think is it going to take for people to collectively kind of switch over? What is it going to take for people to see these truths that have been evident for so long? Well, the question is constrained by the use of the word people, implying okay. that it's not already happening. And people are awakening. I, I like to talk about an example of where I was hiking at Moraine Lake in uh, Banff, Canada. Actually, it's technically a little outside Banff, but basically the same region. And Moraine Lake is a beautiful, beautiful area. And Canada, for the most part, that area of Alberta, it's pretty much conservative right wing. And I ran into a random family, bumped into them, and I asked them to take my picture in front of the lake because it's so beautiful, and I was there by myself. And they said, well, you know, I call it the dreaded four words. What do you do? It's like, oh, boy, here we go. You know, do you really want to know what I do? I mean, I don't know if you do. Because <laughs> if I start telling you, you're just going to have more questions, and it's going to get really weird really fast. They wanted to know. And I start very carefully explaining it to them, and I do it slowly, and I'm very logical and building one point, and then when they understand that and I see that the heads are nodding, then I say, okay, well, if you can accept that, then let's talk about this. And I wait till the heads are nodding, and I say, okay, now let's talk about this. And by the time it was all done, and it took about an hour, I had worked them through the entirety of my platform extraterrestrials, ancient civilizations in which gigantic blocks of stone are levitated by something that could not be anything but an anti-gravity system, because there's no conventional technology we have, even with the best we have now, that can manipulate a 100-ton block of stone. I mean, you can, you can, there are certain things you can do, but not anywhere near to the degree that we would see with, for example, the uh, temple of uh, the Trilithon that we have at this area of Baalbek in Lebanon, the Temple of Baalbek. It's crazy. Like these huge slabs that are 1,000-ton slabs of stone. You can't move that stuff. And yet, there they are. So people are ready to hear this stuff. And I think the biggest problem that we have, if you want to call it this, in the truth community, is that we're so hungry to be heard that we deliver it at a speed that causes trauma. So people will listen to you, but you have to give it to them at a speed that doesn't threaten them. Okay. If you start to talk faster than their ability to follow you, then they, they become threatened because they're starting to think that you're trying to be like a card magician and you're trying to hide your hand behind your back and pull something out of your pocket while you're misdirecting them with the other hand. So you've got to be slow. You've got to be methodical. You've got to take your time. You've got to be patient. And so for most people, I advocate the rule of 10%. You tell people 10% of what you want to say and then stop and wait to see and wait, you know, and it'll be excruciating for you. You wait for them to rephrase it in their own words. Yeah, you know, I watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and when he was making that pile of mashed potatoes and Devil's Tower, and wow, you know, that was amazing, you know, and yeah, right, you know, and let's think about this. Why did they make that movie? And Why were there these little guys at the end that now we start hearing about 10, 20 years later? How did they know about it back then, you know? And you just start, well, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, you know? And you're like going, oh, come on, man, come on. But you just take them through it slowly. And so 
what we really need is a is a non-threatening approach and and humor is is good you know you don't want to come across as dogmatic you don't want to come across as inflexible you want to give people a chance to challenge your viewpoint you want to be respectful and honorable to them when they present you with a challenge and, and not just say well that's ridiculous you know you want to say well yeah okay i can see that might be true i can see how you'd think that way and have you ever thought about this you know and then give them something else that's tasty and so a lot of us in this community are expecting that this thing is going to happen on its own, and then we're disappointed that it's not happening. And people write comments on social media, and they say, David, you keep talking about this stuff, and it hasn't happened yet. Well, okay, then, Mr. Commenter, where is your book? Where is your video? Where is your blog? Where is your YouTube channel? What have you been doing to make the thing that you're upset about happen faster. And so instead of trying to put the imprimatur on a few people like me, we got to hand the baton back to our audience and say that we are the embodiment of the alliance. We are the boots on the ground. We're soldiers in a war that needs to be fought, and we need to be brave enough to inform others because, honestly, the windows of the store have been smashed out. It's a free-for-all. The Cabal's secrets are just hanging out there, and it's like a big block party, and everybody can go in and recover all these things that they stole from us and hid behind the glass. And you just have to run in there and start grabbing things because it was ours in the first place. They stole from us. They stole information. They stole beliefs. They stole worldviews. They stole legitimate people's lives. They stole all of this money from us. And what they left us with is a severely constrictive worldview that makes us feel that we are alone, that we are unprotected, that we're vulnerable. That's what 9-11 is supposed to do. That's what Vegas is supposed to do. You're in a public area and you're like, well, man, I don't know. Machine guns could just start firing any minute here. You know, They want you to feel that way. And... What we all need to see is they don't have anywhere near enough staff to prosecute the awakening. They cannot harass people. They cannot bother us. The, even, even the people at the apex of the truth movement are still alive. There, there's a couple sad and tragic examples where they're not. But the majority of everybody who's making their YouTube videos and making blogs and doing radio programs like this, they're out there and they're fine. And so we really need to see uh, – it's, 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 it's a little bit of a deviant example, but I'll use this example. My brother uh, growing up was a skate punk, you know, and, and they didn't get into a whole lot – they didn't get into trouble. I mean, my brother wasn't like throwing glass at walls and graffiti and that kind of stuff, but he did ride a skateboard – and technically, it's illegal to ride your skateboard in certain places because, you know, they don't want you to do uh, rail slides and they don't want you to grind on the, uh, you know, the curb and all this kind of stuff. Well, my brother at one point uh, with his buddies went up to the state capitol in Albany, New York. And it's this big, imposing corporate building. And, you know, it would appear that, okay, well, it's the capital of New York State. Uh, but sure enough, 
they were they had the balls to just start trying to open doors. And they found out that a majority of these doors were unlocked and you could walk in and you could walk around and there's no cameras and there's no security guards and I mean they didn't steal anything and they didn't do anything wrong except maybe trespassing, but the point is I've thought about that quite a bit and I've thought about how you can analogize that with what's going on in the world today in that it is a con. It's a confidence game. Big Brother is a con. Yes, theoretically, they can look through the camera on your iPhone or the camera on your laptop. They can listen to what you're saying, but they don't have the staff. They don't have anywhere near enough people to listen to that stuff. They're just recording it. They're storing it on hard drives inside the NSA facility in Bluffdale, Utah, and it's lost in a sea of information. And there is no way that they could even begin to send people to follow you around in your car or to knock on your door if, if you look at something on the Internet. It's a massive, media-indoctrinated mind control that people think that the Big Brother is tight enough that if you start listening to a show like this, somebody's going to visit your house in the morning. <laughs> it's not true. There's no Stasi secret police here. It's not the KGB. We're not dealing in that. It's not the Khmer Rouge where you literally would have, and that's in Cambodia, right, where Pol Pot was the dictator. And I spoke to people who lived in Cambodia during the Khmer Rouge, and you literally would have a man with a machine gun lying on the ground under your grass hut waiting to hear you say something bad about Pol Pot. And if that happens... Now he's being drenched in your own blood because he's just strafed you and your wife in your bed with machine gun fire. Oh and then if you fuck, sorry, then if you crack a smile, if you walk down the street and you crack a smile, you're gunned down dead on the spot. Now that's a real dictatorship. We don't have that. We've never had that. And so people say, "Oh my God, it's a prison planet." Okay, yeah, to a degree. They're trying to do what they do, but we do have a lot of freedom that we could easily take for granted. We have the freedom to smile. We have the freedom to lie in our bed and say something negative about the government and not have somebody under the bed that's going to shoot us as soon as we open our mouth. You know, we don't have to be ordered to kill our own loved one, and then if we show the slightest sign of crying, they kill us right afterwards. You have to be able to kill your wife or kill your husband or kill your kid and you can't cry or then you die. I mean, that's a real dictatorship and we don't have that. But I've talked to people who were in that and had to do that stuff. You know, you'd be amazed that I, I went to Avis Renicar and I spoke to this lady and I'd started a rapport with her and she says, yeah, I'm from Cambodia. And I'm like, Khmer Rouge? And she said, yeah. Well, she had no idea that I would have known what that was, and she starts telling me all these crazy, crazy stories. And yet she managed to get out alive and come to America. But, man, is she hiding scars. And, you know, these kind of scars are not visible. She doesn't look any different. But you start talking to her, and you're like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Really? That happened, and that happened, and that happened? It's So, so look. We have an awakening taking place, and we've been lied to about the ferocity and the impressiveness of the villain. 
And the really cool part about this is there's a lot more of us than there are of them. And all we have to do is get a little bit of bravery. I mean, come on. Our forefathers, <laughs> our forefathers were drafted against their will and sent into a meat grinder in World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Okay? My father went to Vietnam. My father got off the plane in Vietnam and they were drawing lots on the spot as they got off of this plane in the searing Vietnamese heat. And the people who drew the wrong lots were going to be sent to Hamburger Hill, and they probably wouldn't live for more than a week. And that was told to them as soon as they got off the plane. So we are not in a situation where that level of service is being required. Nobody's being drafted right now. But in a sense, there is a voluntary conscription going on. If you want to... You can take a look at what's going on in the world, and you can say, I've had enough. And women are doing that with the Me Too campaign, and more and more of us are saying, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want these people to just run roughshod over my freedom. And when you get to that point of awakening, you're not taking anywhere near the risk that your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather took to have to go hold a gun and be on a front line in a foxhole. And, I'm and, and so people glad are, you said that. Thank you. And, and people are like, oh, my God, David, you're so brave. I can't believe this. You know, half an hour after I wrote my article the other night, my insider friend Paul has a head-on collision. And I had just leaked more of his intel. Oh, my God, David, you're so brave. Do you think I'm going to stop if my buddy has a head-on collision a half an hour after I write that article? Do I think that's the result of somebody who's winning? No. Am I brave for risking my life to do this? I'm no more brave than everybody's grandparents. They didn't have a choice. They went out there, they held their gun, and they served their country. Okay? We all need to get some balls here. And we need to realize that it's much less dangerous than going to war, but this is a war, and we need your help. Mr. David Wilcock, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And I just want to point out that what you had said earlier about the way to communicate to people, the fact that you want to reach out to them at a pace, do 10%, and not come off as, as a showman, which I think a lot of people do sometimes. They do, they do oh, try yeah. to do the showmanship. Uh, I thought that was incredible. And, um, thank you. It was just really, um, really wonderful that you said that, and that we do have to grab a pair of uh, cajones and, or ovaries or anything you want to call it and take it on. You can learn more about David by going to his website at divinecosmos.com. This interview was recorded on October 25th, 2017. And to remind you again, David is a double New York Times bestselling author. He's a star of two weekly shows on Guy TV, divinecosmos.com. Mr. Wilcock, incredible honor to have you with us today. Thank you for everything that you've done and all that you continue to do. And we stand by and we support you in all your efforts, sir. Ryan McCormick, thank you. You're awesome, and I appreciate you putting me on your show. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Mr. David Wilcock, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Casa, and Ms. Constance Tellus. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Taking care, and thank you so much for listening.
Well, we're on the cusp of that magical time of year again. You know, that uh, magical time of year where they play commercials and say, eh, you got to go out. If you love someone, buy them a toaster. Buy them this piece of crap. Show them you love them for Christmas by buying them this piece of crap. Here's an idea. Instead of getting someone you love a piece of crap for Christmas this year, why not get them a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza, Miss Constance Tellis, or Miss Carrie O'Connor from the Adelaide Seven and Truth Radio Show. Give them the gift of insight into themselves. Because they're going to return whatever piece of crap you buy them. They don't, they're not excited with the gift you're giving them. No one is. No one likes their presence. They just smile for the cameras and say, eh, they're lying. You give them the gift of a psychic reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor. You learn more about her by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Carrie can read auras. She can look into your field, communicate with the dead. I mean, communicating with the dead over a piece of crap present you're going to give that they're going to return anyway, that's a much better deal. You can get them a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza, a psychic empath, amazing, direct to the point. She'll provide insight on a person who's trying to find a job, trying to find romance in their life. That's a great, great gift. Or you can get them a reading with Miss Lisa, with Miss Kaza Stellas, the Astro Phenom. Get their charts done. Find out what 2018 is going to bring for them. I'm telling you, you get them a reading with either one of these uh, amazing ladies from the Outer Limits of Energy Youth Radio Show, and they're going to be happy. No joke, no return, nothing. Get the greatest gift you can, a reading with these individuals, and forego the piece of crap this year. 